To oppose government, or I should say, put it this way, to refuse to submit to the government is a sin against God because it's a servant of God. It's a tool of God in His hand. Now, I know that's strong language, but the scope of this uh, subjection can be seen a variety of ways. You know, the Bible says, 1 John 3, verse 4, sin is lawlessness. So there's a sense in which all of us as sinners, our very nature wants to rebel. (laughs) And we think we ought to be able to set our own rules. Sin is lawlessness. And God has ordained government with its laws and the order of a civilization, and he uses it. And to oppose that is to oppose the very ordinance of God. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part six of a message titled, The Christian and Government. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Protect the innocent, punish the guilty. That's the role of government. And this punishment was to be impartial. Listen to these quotes. Deuteronomy 13. If your brother or your son or daughter or the wife you cherish or your friend who is as your own soul, and he goes into detail, she'll sin and do evil. I don't care if it's your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter, your wife whom you cherish, or your bosom buddy, your friend who's as your own soul, you shall not yield to him or listen to him. Your eyes shall not pity him, nor shall you spare or conceal him. Punishment was to be impartial. Secondly, it was to be without delay. Then it shall be, Deuteronomy 25, then it shall be if the wicked man deserves to be beaten, the judge shall then make him lie down and be beaten in his presence with the number of stripes according to his guilt. That isn't always the case. Uh, We know that we're supposed to have, and in much of the Western world, the law says we're to have speedy justice, uh, but that's certainly not been the case of late. And it wasn't always the case throughout history. And Solomon reflected on this in Ecclesiastes when he said, chapter 8, verse 11, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. And uh, you don't have to look too far to see that illustrated. Thirdly, it's a matter of justice. It's a matter of justice. Uh, without false or misguided mercy on the one hand and without personal vengeance on the other. And you'll hear this repeated often, Deuteronomy 19, verse 21. Thus you shall not show pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. We often think of that as harsh, but that was both a deterrent, or I should say not really a deterrent, but a a keeping from personal vengeance going too far. No, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And also the other side where man would tend to be merciful in a false kind of a way and clamor for pity and mercy for the evildoer and show more mercy and pity to the crime or criminal than to the one, the victim of the crime. And God insists repeatedly, no, 
But neither do you take it in and become escalating revenge. No, no, it's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And there's a caution there that uh, when you read it within the ancient culture that Israel was in, you can see very clearly that he's cautioning against both extremes. And then I would say that the scripture indicates that God said very clearly that punishment in Israel was as a deterrent to crime. He didn't have to take a study or, uh, you know, do stats on this. And I don't think you do either. And I don't think we do either. It does deter crime when it's punished speedily and with justice. And so you can read this repeatedly too. Then all the people will hear and be afraid and will not act presumptuously again. Deuteronomy 17, 13. Deuteronomy 13, 11. Then all Israel will hear and be afraid and will never again do such a wicked thing among you. Deuteronomy 19, verse 20. And the rest will hear and be afraid and will never again do such an evil thing among you. Uh, I think common sense is so clear on that. And life teaches us that, and yet we've come to believe that somehow punishment doesn't deter crime. Oh, it does. It does. In fact, the blindness of man, the natural man, in our culture, as we've moved away from God, God's principles, the stupidity that we've become involved in, in every realm, but you see it oftentimes in this area. And then I said prisons, punishment, and pollution. Turn, turn in your Bible to Numbers 35. Numbers 35, because God speaks about pollution. And uh, so I'm going to. Numbers 35. And again, these are all principles from the God-given government that God gave Israel as a nation. He didn't give these to the United States, and I'm not saying that we should just carte blanche take uh, the Bible and and use it as the uh, law book for our legal system. In fact, government is separate from the church. God ordained two institutions, and he gave us our own roles, and we ought to remember those are distinct. And yet, uh, when we as Christians can participate in government as we can, then in our role as civil servants, even right on up to the presidency, we should be aware and if God allows us to be in those roles, then we should think through what is our role. And uh, so anyway, I'll talk about a little bit about pollution. Verse 29, Numbers 35. These things shall be for a statutory ordinance to you throughout your generations in all your dwellings. These were fairly important for Israel. This isn't just a temporary in light of the current situation. No, he says, this is the way I want it. This is a statutory ordinance. And up to there, in the context, he's been talking about manslaughter. Now he changes the subject in verse 29 to murder, verse 30. If anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death at the evidence of witnesses, but no person shall be put to death on the witness of one, on the testimony of one witness. And uh, we can be thankful for the due process that we have in this country. We should be very thankful for what we have in a heritage. God establishes it here. 
And he says, uh, I don't want it done haphazardly, but I want bloodshed when there's been bloodshed. The murder shall be put to death. Not on the evidence of just one, but on two witnesses. And you shall not take a ransom for him who's fled to his city of refuge, verse 32, that he may return to live in the land before the death of the priest. Even manslaughter, you can't take bribes. I don't care if it's OJ or some, you know, billionaire who's living off somewhere else. No, no, uh uh-uh. You must exact the punishment. And he says, so you shall not, look at verse 33, you shall not pollute the land in which you are, for blood pollutes the land, and no expiation can be made for the land for the blood that is is shed on it, except by the blood of him who shed it. You see, God says that when we fail, when government fails to punish, why the spilt blood, the innocent blood, pollutes the land. That's the pollution God is most concerned about. And I believe, really, I'm not saying we ought not to be concerned about other forms of pollution. I'm just simply saying the one the Scripture really enjoins us to think about. And when I think of the innocent blood being spilt by murder in this country and all the other forms of violence, and when I think of the aborted innocence And when I think of the slaughter that's been going on legally and the magnitude of it, we're indeed polluted and uh, as a nation. And our failure to do something about it, God will. God will. He says, listen, this pollutes the land. You shall not defile the land, verse 34, in which you live, in the midst of which I dwell, for I, the Lord, am dwelling in the midst of the sons of Israel. And I would just simply say that as we noted last time, or the first time, I've forgotten, the very dignity of man demands capital punishment and demands that government be established and have its arm of authority because I created him in the image of God, he said in Genesis 9. So the dignity of man demands it and the character of God. I, the Lord, dwell in the midst. You're my people, Israel. Don't you let this go. Don't just say with some sort of false mercy or pity or anything else that this should not be exacted. No, that'll pollute the land. And we're living, obviously, in polluted days. So uh, a little sidelight there on three things that I think, as part of the government, we should all think of, and we should vote accordingly, we should act accordingly, and uh, pray accordingly, which is our role also. Now, getting back to Romans 13, and really that would all expand what the Scripture says, what I just shared with you, on uh, it does not bear the sword for nothing. It's to protect the innocent and it's to punish the evil. Okay? Fourth main principle that we want to see here. We are called to submit to government. Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and those which exist are established by God. This is really Paul's main point. We are to submit to the government. Our main relationship to human government is to realize it's of God and we're to submit to it. And that's really what he says. I mean, if you had to pick one thought that he says in these seven verses, that is it. He says, be in subjection. He gets it out in the first phrase of these seven verses. It's a military term. 
And it, it's a compound term. It, it's from the word arrange or order or ordain. And then it's compounded with the prefix for under. We're to be arranged under. God has put us under government. And he uses the term, he uses the root uh, three times here in these two verses. It's uh, translated at the end of verse 1, established, without the prefix, just established. But we're ordained or established or arranged under. Now to, look at verse 2, oppose the ordinance of God to resist authority to resist, that's the same term with the prefix anti. <laughs> so to be against the arrangement God has ordained is to be opposed to the very, look at it, ordinance of God, the very edict of God. So it's a military term, and you, we can think that way quite easily. The soldier is to give submission. He's subject to his superior officer. And it's almost absolute. He's not to think for himself. He's to follow orders. There are few exceptions. And, you know, you can even think of the analogy even carries. If the commanding officer, uh, there are somewhere way back in the military code, uh, the criteria for mutiny or whatever, and, you know, uh, or when insubordination might be necessary and would be the subordinate thing to do to the higher authority, but still. Basically, anybody that's been in the service learned, you don't think, you don't, you don't know, you're dumb, you do what I say, that's it. You know, I mean, that's the thought. And he uses that term, now he's not saying that about us, he's simply saying we are to be subject to the government. Now, some look at this and they try to limit it. Why did Paul write this in Romans? Th where, where are we? Yeah, Roman. Oh, Rome. He's writing to the Christians at Rome. They were right there in D.C. <laughs> you know, they had to stay under the... They better not cause trouble for the rest of the empire. For those in Rome, be subject to the government. And some actually try to limit this. But look over at 1 Peter. Turn over to 1 Peter. It isn't because Paul is merely writing to the Christians at Rome. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. The diaspora, the dispersion, the scattered, it's a, it's a term the Jews knew well. They were scattered throughout the empire. That's who Peter's writing to, Christians who are scattered throughout the empire. And notice what he says, chapter 2, verse 13, not just to those at Rome, but in verse 13, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. You get the same principle. And you have it for those at Rome and those scattered. So uh, it, it's universal. And to refuse to submit, as I say, verse 2, is to oppose, it's to stand against the very ordinance of God, the very edict of God. In other words, to oppose government, or I should say, put it this way, to refuse to submit to the government is a sin against God because it's a servant of God. It's a tool of God in his hand. Now, I know that's strong language, but the scope of this uh, subjection can be seen a variety of ways. You know, the Bible says, 1 John 3, verse 4, sin is lawlessness. So there's a sense in which all of us as sinners, our very nature wants to rebel. <laughs> and we think we ought to be able to set our own rules. Sin 
is lawlessness. And God has ordained government with its laws and the order of a civilization, and he uses it. And to oppose that is to oppose the very ordinance of God. And, uh, you know, this subjection uh, can be seen, I think, uh, maybe perhaps best by thinking in terms of who was emperor when Paul wrote. It was Nero, the worst of the Roman empires, emperors. And our Lord, when he stood before Pontius Pilate, one of the worst Roman governors they ever had, both of them are our example. They stood uh, and were subject to it. So it doesn't depend on who's in power. It doesn't depend on what form of government, whether kings or governors is sent by his authority, whatever. He doesn't ordain any particular form of government, by the way. He doesn't really give instruction on that. And he says those which exist are established by God. So it doesn't matter who's in power, what the form of government is, what party, whether they're godly or ungodly, moral or immoral. We obviously know that through history there's been plenty of both. We're, our job is to be subject to the government. Having said that, I think you can see the extent of it perhaps reaches home when you look at verse 6. We're to pay taxes. Huh. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. You remember they came to Jesus. And uh, they, uh, they said, you know, you know, is it lawful to pay the tax to Caesar or not? They were testing him, and he saw through it. He said, you hypocrites. And he said, "Uh, whose likeness and inscription is on that coin in your pocket? And they said, well, Caesar. And it was at that time, you know, Caesar Augustus, who was on there, the august one, the magnificent, majestic one, so he called himself Caesar Augustus. He called himself the Son of God. Did you know that? And the Son of God said, whose uh, inscription is on the coin? (laughs) Well, Caesar. He says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, (laughs) and to God the things that are God. And Romans 13, 6 and 7 just simply restates that and states it a little more thoroughly. He was pagan. He was immoral. He was unjust. He called himself the Son of God, and yet the real Son of God said, Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Render to God the things that are God's. And uh, you remember when in Matthew, that was in Matthew 22, by the way. In Matthew 17, they, uh, they asked Jesus another tax question. When they'd come to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and says, does your teacher pay the two drachma tax? That was a treasury tax, and it uh, kept the the temple treasury, temple tax, it was uh, two drachma per person, one of those flat rate ones for everybody, you know. And uh, Peter, Peter, you know, they said, does Jesus uh, pay, does your teacher pay that? Oh, yeah, Peter said yes. Well, when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax, from their sons or from strangers? And upon his saying, from strangers... Jesus said to him, consequently, the sons are exempt. It really, it really doesn't make sense for the Son of God to be paying a temple tax. But Peter had said, oh, yeah, he does. And Jesus said, uh, you know, I really wouldn't need to do this. The sons are exempt from this. But lest we give them offense, go to the sea, throw in a hook, 
Take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you'll find a stator. Take that and give it to them for you and me, Peter. <laughs> you can imagine what Peter did. <laughs> you go out and put a hook in. No bait, just a hook. Pull a fish up, open it up. There's your tax man. I'd pay taxes if that were the case, wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, this is great instruction as far as I'm concerned. But uh, no, he said, let's do it. Let's not give offense. I'm exempt from this, but uh, you, here, I'll, I'll provide for you. He'll provide for your needs, by the way, when you do what is right. Uh, but, you know, this is even more poignant because this went where? To the temple treasury. And, you know, when they paid Judas, what did they pay out of? That tax bin there. That particular. You know, people say, I'm not going to give my money to support this or that. Listen, the Lord gave his money, and then the money, 30 pieces of silver, which Judas tried to take back, and they said, oh, well, it's blood money. Now, we couldn't defile the temple treasury with that, so they went out and bought, just like the Scripture said they would. And it's very interesting, by the way, to read that in Matthew 27. But uh, we're to pay taxes. And, you know, uh, thankfully, before I leave that, we're to be subject to the government, and that includes even paying taxes. Before I leave that, let me, let me say that uh, in this country, thankfully, we can vote. <laughs> we can vote against taxes. But do your voting at the ballot box. Don't vote on your 1040 form. You know what I'm saying? Pay tax to whom taxes do, but you can be involved in changing that if you'd like. And I would say you can use your money much more wisely and more efficiently than Caesar. <laughs> and since we have the privilege to be involved, vote wisely. But uh, don't vote in the wrong arena. You abide by the law that God has put over you because God indeed has put government over you. Now, I had every intention of us uh, looking at the rest of this, but we're not going <laughs> to. We're out of time. Uh, it's interesting to me, as I said, that this is a pretty fairly comprehensive statement. You know, government, as I started this, as we moved into chapter 13, two weeks ago, we saw that, hey, government plays a big role, plays a huge role in our lives, too huge as far as I'm concerned, but just the same, God gives us quite a bit of instruction, and as you look at Scripture, it's very instructive for us, and we can learn much, and we have and we'll continue to, because we still need to look at uh, when this submission is not to be followed. It's not absolute. I'll say that right now. I don't want to leave you thinking, no matter what the government says, of course not. You render to Caesar what is Caesar's, you render to God what is God's. And God is the supreme authority. And we must obey God. And many times, or maybe I should say sometimes, the two conflict. I think we're too red we, we find it too readily and we cheapen our convictions when we when we find all kinds of reasons. But from time to time you'll find in Scripture the principle. And we're gonna look at it in detail next time. And then we're gonna look about our responsibility to pray for the government. And I'll just tell you right now, be praying for our government. Be praying for our president who tells us that he reads the scripture daily. Pray that he will. Pray that he'll have good time today. Take a time daily to pray for our president. Pray for our governor. Pray for our mayor. Pray for the courts. Pray for those who govern us. And we'll look at that too uh, next time.
You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled The Christian and Government, a message from our series in the book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to abideintheword.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're excited to report that the Romans Project is expanding rapidly into the countries of India, Nepal, Thailand, and Cambodia. We invite you to click on the link for the Romans Project on the front page of our website at downtownbible.org. There you'll find monthly updates, testimonies, and images from Romans Project outreach around the world. To learn more, navigate to romansproject.org or connect with us at facebook.com slash romansproject. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. When government commands what God forbids, you submit to the higher authority. I read in Exodus 1, when yet another world ruler, Pharaoh, decided the Jews were becoming more numerous. And like a lot of these guys through history, they didn't even realize they were a pawn of Satan who has tried to destroy the Jewish line all the way along because he knew Messiah was coming. And he still has always produced this hatred of Israel. And uh, Pharaoh thought that he'd kill all the Israelite boys. You remember he told the midwives, if it's a girl, let him live. But if it's a boy, kill him. And I read in Exodus 1, the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings the seventh part of a message titled, The Christian and Government. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.